This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. All right, folks, today we have a top opportunity to dig further into God's Word, looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. If you have your Bible with you or you have your Bible on your device, I encourage you to go there. We're going to be looking at some of the other verses in that same chapter and then throughout the scriptures. Let's begin with a prayer. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Thank you that you have gathered us in your name to again marvel at the goodness of our God. Lord, as we face the future, there's a lot of uncertainty. In fact, we can't see a moment beyond this moment but you are there, and we pray that you would encourage us with your promises today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit about my dog, Paco. There he is. This is our dog when we lived in Texas before we moved over to Asia. And we had to give him to a family that loves him dearly. Paco, as you can see on the right-hand side there, sometimes Paco was a very majestic dog. You know, he like kind of looks regal in that picture. He's a smart dog. Look at him there on the left. Just looks like a human, doesn't he? I love taking him out on Sunday mornings. I was just thinking about that. Before I would preach on Sunday mornings, early, early morning, I'd go walking about. And since there was nobody out on Sunday mornings, I'd let him off the leash. And he would just run free. He would just leap like a deer. And then he would see a bunny, and he would completely disappear. I couldn't find him, no matter what, no matter how hard I searched for him. And every time, I would get super angry, like, what's wrong with this stupid dog? And I'd walk back to my house, and every, I mean, every single time, he was on the porch waiting for me. <laughs> so majestic, smart, free spirit, all of that except on New Year's Eve. So on New Year's Eve, when the fireworks started, we could not find that dog. Until we looked under the bed, and there he was under the bed, trembling like he had been sitting in a meat locker for the last three hours. Terrified. And nothing that you could do or say would coax Paco to come out from underneath that bed. And in the end, you just had to leave him and hope that when he came out later, he didn't have some kind of nervous tick. Now, when some of you, including me, think about the future, you start trembling like that. Maybe just a little bit. Or maybe you're in one of those states where you are like Paco and you just want to hide under your bed for a little while because you are that worried about the future. Maybe it's your immediate future. I have to be honest, I was assigned this text, Jeremiah 29, 11, over a month ago and I've been studying it since then and I put a lot of work into it this week so that I could prepare for this sermon. But when I woke up this morning, for some reason, nothing was coming together. And my stomach was in knots. It was trembling it's inside of me. And I thought, this is going to all fall apart. 
Then my wife said, oh, these friends are coming to see, and they, these friends are coming to see, this family's gonna come see as well. I'm like, this is not helping. Maybe in the next day or two, maybe this week, you have a meeting with a coworker or a family member and you're anticipating it's not gonna go well and already as you think about that today, something inside of you is trembling. Or, or maybe you're trembling about something that's a little bit more distant, something in, in 2020, and you think if things in 2020 go like they did in 2019, that's not gonna be good. 2019, maybe you got divorced in, in 2019. Uh, maybe you lost a dear loved one, and maybe in 20, 2019, somebody gave you the pink slip, and you think, if 2020 is anything like this, I, I don't know how I'm going to face it. Maybe 2020 is not going to be so good on your checkbook, your bank accounts, your investments. Maybe 2020 is not going to be not going to be so so good on your waistline and your you know age-related problems. Maybe 2020 is not going to be so good on your relationships with other people. Maybe 2020 is not going to be so good for your kids. And maybe they're going to get in that accident that you keep worrying about them getting into with their car. Ah, yeah, yeah. And you're just trembling inside. And. I can see there's probably a couple of you who are going to climb underneath your chairs in just a second. I get Paco, right? I understand. Now, some of you address this with your, this ridiculous idea of the New Year's resolution. And so you think, well, because I'm trembling about the future, I'm going to face the future and I'm going to come up with these great plans, right? I'm going to lose 20 pounds every week. I'm going to eat carrots and kale and that's it. Yeah, I think you should just try something easier. So like in the next year, if I find that I have any socks with holes bigger than baseballs, I'm going to throw those away. That's my resolution. (laughs) Man. Facing the future, it just makes us tremble inside sometimes. Makes life really hard. So let's take a look today at a passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a very famous passage. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. You can find this if you go online and you search for like cool Christian t-shirts or cool Christian mugs. You can find this plastered all over the place. Maybe you even have it up on your wall somewhere. Jeremiah 29, 11. But it's not just a cute phrase. It's not just a throwaway passage. This passage has real deep meaning for us, especially those of us in here today who are trembling at the future. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, to understand this passage, I want to give you just a little bit of background. About 600 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God's people got themselves into trouble in the land of Israel and Palestine, and they had no one to blame but themselves. They acted foolishly, they ignored God, and as a result, an enemy army came into their land, devastated their land, and dragged thousands of them off into captivity in Babylon, 500 miles away. They were immigrants and slaves. They were oppressed by their oppressors. Their future was dire. And as a result, many of them had trouble settling down. So 
chapter 29, verse 4, again, before the verses we're going we're to look at later, verse 4, it says this, This is what the Lord the Almighty, the God of Israel, says to the, all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Sometimes when we think about Christianity, we think about these very, very spiritual, almost ethereal type things. And, and God here, it's just very earthly sounding, isn't it? He says, I need you to settle in. I need you to have kids and have grandkids and live like you're going to be there for a long time. Because actually you are going to be there a long time. God promised through the prophets that they were going to be there for 70 years. You need to settle in, he said. You need to be present in the present instead of being frozen by the future. There were some other people that looked for alternative ways of finding hope. And that's in verses 8 and 9. He said, yes, this is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So instead of being present in the present, some people were pining away for an impossible future. They found prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear. And the prophets had said, don't worry about things here. You're only going to be here a couple of months. Don't unpack your bags. God will come and deliver you and bring you back to your country. And God said, no, I didn't send them. You're the one who came up with this idea. You're the one who found people to tell you what you want to hear. But that's not what's going to happen. So be present in the present instead of pining away for some impossible kind of future. And here we have two very common responses to a future that we're worried about. One is catastrophizing the future, and the other is idealizing the future. Both of them keep us from being truly present in the present where God has called us in our vocations to carry out his purposes in the world where he's called us to be husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, where he's called us to be workers, where he's called us to be members of his church. When we catastrophize the future, when we idealize the future, we aren't present to be able to do those things that God calls us to do in the present. So first, catastrophizing. Uh, This is a counseling term. Here it is. Predicting a negative outcome and then assuming that if and when it happens, it will be a catastrophe. So you can't be present in the present because all you can think about is how bad the future is going to be. You're so busy worrying about then that you can't even focus on the now. So some of you can't sleep or your sleep is not restful. If you're like me, you fall asleep worrying about the future and then when you wake up, what's the first thought on your mind? The same future. Some of you are so worried about the future that you can't eat properly. And so you don't have the strength that you need to really focus on what's in front of you. Or, if you're anything like me, you eat more because of the uncertainty of the future. you got to take a, a second mortgage to pay for all those Pringles and Dove bars that you're consuming. 
Some of you while away your time. This is what I do too. You while away your time on apps, on social media, instead of just enjoying those things as a break from the present so that you can get back to the present and do the things that God has called you to do, you find, whoa, my goodness, it's been three hours. I didn't realize time was flying by so quickly. And so then you end up staying up later than you think you should stay up, and you get up later than you were supposed to, and then you procrastinate on your projects and on your papers or whatever it is. So you're not really present in the present because you're frozen by the future. Okay, that's catastrophizing. Some of you idealize the future. Very simply, idealizing the future is when X happens, then I will Y. So when I get that boyfriend or girlfriend, when I finally get married, when I finally have that child that I've been longing for, when I finally land that dream job, that's X, then I will, I will be happy. I will feel like somebody. I will be fulfilled. I will become more spiritual. I will sleep. I will eat. I will pay attention to the people around me. When X happens, then I will Y. The problem is that with that way of living, when you are living in the present, you're not really present, are you? It reminds me of the movie Click. Adam Sandler plays this rather dissatisfied, bored husband, father, right? And this crazy scientist played by, is it Christopher Walken? Shows up and gives him a magical remote control device for his life. So if he presses rewind, he can go back and relive the best moments of his life. If he presses pause, he can stop life. And he can change things to make his present a little bit better. And if he presses the fast forward button, he can zoom through the boring, the challenging, and the painful parts of life. Needless to say, that's what he immediately starts doing. He fast forwards through all the boring conversations that his wife wants to have with him. He fast forwards through all of the things of life that he doesn't want to have to experience. But eventually, he can't stop fast forwarding. And he ends up waking up as a sad and lonely man. All of his family, all of his friends have left him. The reason they left him is because he was never present in the present. He was always fast-forwarding through his life to get to the ideal future, to get to the things that seemed really fun, so he wasn't present in the present. And if you find that in your life you are disconnected, you find that you are more grumpy than you are at peace. Maybe you're idealizing the future. There are so many dads and fathers in particular, fathers and husbands in particular, that say, I was never there at home when I was there. I came home and I was present. I was sitting on the couch, but I wasn't present with what was going on with my kids, with my wife. I was detached, and now I look back with so much regret. God calls us to be present in the present, no matter what the future is going to look like. God has called us into these wonderful vocations, son or daughter, husband, wife, 
father, mother, grandfather, grandmother. Called us to be present at work. He's called us to be part of this Christian body. But we dishonor him when we're not present in the moment, when we're not present with, for the people that God has put in our lives to minister to. So how do we get out of this trap? That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is about. And let me just stop for just a second and tell you this. Some of you are listening to this and you can't identify at all. You're like, I don't worry at all about the future. It's not a problem for me. But you still need to listen. Because you need to learn how to minister to people who struggle with this. Instead of just telling them, get over it. Don't worry about the future. That's not that helpful. Those of us who are trembling inside need your help. We need your encouragement. So don't disengage from what God is going to say here, but learn how to minister to yourself and to others. Why would Paco not come out on New Year's Eve? Why would he stay trembling under that bed? Because he did not believe that I loved him enough or that I was powerful enough to help him. And why do we tremble about the future? Same reason. So in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. To those who are trembling, God promises three things. I will prosper you, I will give you hope, and I will give you a future. Prosper is a really interesting word to those who are trembling underneath that bed. It's actually in the, in the original Hebrew Bible, it says plans of shalom. Shalom, most of us know that shalom means peace. We, we, we modern people tend to think of peace in a negative way. So mm, peace we think of as the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of trouble, uh, the absence of screaming children, the absence, absence of demanding bosses. That's why we say, I can't get a moment's peace. In other words, leave me alone, and then I will have peace. The Jewish people didn't think that way, and I, I don't begin to, to claim that I understand the fullness of this word shalom, but I know that it had a much more positive spin. It had much more the idea of wholeness. Everything is right with me if everything is right between me and God. So my past might be a mess, my present might be a mess, my future might probably gonna be a mess, but I'm okay, I have peace because everything is right between me and God. My kids are gonna laugh at me about this, but I'm gonna tell you when I, was, when I was about five or six years old, I went to parochial school and where I lived, when you go to parochial school, you would ride the public bus. This was the 1970s. I was riding on the public bus going to public high school with all those kids in the 70s. They all had like really long hair. They smoked in the back of the bus. I was too young to know if it was cigarettes or something else. I don't know. But when we, I waited in line for that bus. Those teenage, these are teenage kids. Teenage kids would, would make fun of me for my plaid pants. Thank you very much, Mom. <laughs> Those teenage kids would pick me up and throw me in a pile of dirt. 
Those teenage kids, would, there was a mailbox there, and they would put my Star Wars lunchbox on top of that mailbox, and they would take turns throwing rocks at it. They had no idea how much that lunchbox would be worth today. <laughs> That's miserable. A six-year-old kid. But when I could go home after school, it was a different story. Because I could go home, and my mom would help me fix a little snack, and she would remind me, whether she said it or she showed it in some way, that she loved me dearly. And everything was going to be okay, because nothing was okay out there, but it was okay here, because I mattered to the person who mattered most. That's what it means to prosper, to be really whole. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect. It doesn't mean that your future is going to be easy. What it means is that you're okay because you're okay with God. Because you matter to the person who matters most. So that's prosperity, peace. Uh, To those who are trembling under the bed, God also promises hope. Not the gambler's kind of hope, like, I'm going to buy a bunch of lottery tickets because I hope that I make $100 million. This is biblical hope, that everything is going to turn out in the end. God will work out all things for the good of his people. That's biblical hope. So many Christians get caught in this mindset that, I, mindset that I'm just going to heaven. Like, we just have to make it through this dump until we get to be with Jesus. And so they're not really present in the present. They're just thinking, like, just, just get through it. But Jesus once said, I have come that they may have eternal life. And he said, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. These words are present. He's saying, your someday begins today. He's saying that you are already beginning to experience some of the blessings of heaven today, some of the peace of heaven today, some of the joy of heaven today. That means that not just that everything will turn out when you finally die and go to heaven. It means that everything is going to be okay in two days and two weeks and two months and two years and in two decades. It's going to be okay Because God's in control. And for those who are trembling underneath that bed, God says, I'm also going to give you a future. A future. This is really interesting. So in verse 10, the verse before, verse 11, it says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so your immediate assumption is, okay, when God talks about the future, he must be talking about that future, that in 70 years they would get to return to their homeland. But I want you to think about this. Most of the people who were taken into Babylon were young, maybe 15, 20, 25, 30 years old. Now add 70 to that. How old are they? 100 years old. How many of those people you think were going to make the long trek 500 miles walking to go back to their homeland? Almost none of them. So when God talks about the future here and in other places, he must be thinking of something bigger than just getting the perfect home that you always wanted or getting back to the place that you were were at before. He's got to be thinking bigger than that. And he was. Heaven is, uh, God is always looking forward to heaven. And we are here in the now, but we are not in the, in the, the not yet, the joy of heaven. Jesus, uh, Paul wrote this in, in Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will come from being eternally present 
in the presence of our God. The one who the Bible says will live with us. He will be our God and we will be his people. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When I was extremely worried about the future one time and I was starting to have panic attacks, my counselor met with me and he said, okay, I've got a question for you. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know what I thought in my mind? That's the stupidest question anybody's ever asked me. I said, what's the worst that could happen? I could die. And he said, and then? And that really struck me. If you are a Christian, this earth is the closest to hell you will ever get. And then be present with the Lord forever. So wholeness in the present, wholeness in the future, a future that, an immediate future that's going to be okay because God works it all out for you. And then eternal life with him forever. Some of you are still trembling. I know I still do. No matter what I did when Paco was underneath that bed, he would not come out But I started to think this last week, what if I had gone underneath the bed with Paco? Down in the dark, the dusty, the lonely place with Paco. What difference would that have made? And again, I want you to look back in verse 10, because this is so interesting. In verse 10, it says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, And fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. I don't know about you, but what really stands out to me there is, I will come to you. I will come to you. You know, God is present everywhere. Technically speaking, God can't come to you because he's already here. But he says this in many different places. I will come to you. Isaiah, it says that God will come and he will be called Emmanuel. God with us. Psalm 130. It says that God himself will redeem his people from all their sins. Somehow God himself will come and fix our problem with God. You probably just heard something from John chapter 1 in the last week or so. Where it says the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to us. In Luke chapter 7, which I've been studying recently, when Jesus raises a young man up from the dead, the people respond by saying, God has come to help his people. God himself, not in might, but in a manger. God himself, not in power, but in poverty. God himself, not to the kings of the world, but to the shepherds, to the ordinary people born to an ordinary woman in an ordinary town with ordinary flesh that can be torn and ordinary ordinary blood that can spill out. God has come to be with his people. Do you know that the gurus of all the other world's religions say basically, I'm going to stand outside of this bed and I'm going to coax you out by telling you the things that you can do to become more courageous, the things you can do to become nearer to God. But our God came near to live with us. To carry our burdens. And after he died on the cross, 
as the satisfaction for all of our sins. The Bible says he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. In Ephesians, here's a verse that will give you some courage for the future. Here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 1. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus fills the universe. And God in Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you. The point when you put those two together is this. Jesus is not making it up as he goes along. He's already in your future. and He knows what's going to happen. And he's preparing you for that. And he's going to help you through that. It's going to be okay. And so you can be present in the present. And not frozen by your future. Not stuck idealizing some future that's going to happen that will finally make you happy. The sting, the Italian job, Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13. There's probably an Ocean's 22 by now. I don't know. They're all the same. What do they have in common? They're heist movies. I love a good heist movie. Right? The bad guys have all the money. They have the big goons with the big guns. Right? They have the tough guys. They have all the technology. And then the good guys say, we're going to steal from them. We're going to crack the case. We're going to get their tens of millions of dollars. And throughout the movie, it looks like the bad guys are going to lose. It looks like they're going to get caught. But in the end, it all turns out and you realize that the bad guys had everything under control. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They anticipated every move of the enemy. That is your Savior, Jesus. He loves you enough to save you. He's powerful enough to save you. He's in control of all things. And so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to encourage you to go to work on Monday morning and work like crazy. But then when you come home, put away the phone and stop checking your email and stop worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and just be present with your family. And I'm going to encourage you to invest your money as you think about the future. You've got to save for retirement. That's all very important. And do all those things that you have to do to prepare for the future. But then close the books and go read a book or watch your favorite TV show. And I'm encouraging you to pray for your kids because, man, this world is dangerous. And I'm encouraging you to pray for your government, encouraging you to pray for the economy. But then say amen and go to bed. And at some point during that day, even though you have a million things to do, and if they don't get done, the world is going to come crashing down, or so you think, I encourage you to stop and to meditate on the promises of God. Because God is infinitely greater than your problems and your future. A few weeks after Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple. And there at the temple, there was this old man named Simeon. Simeon had been told by God, I want you to go to the temple, and I'm going to show you the Messiah before you die. What a cool thing that must have been. So after living his life, looking forward to the Messiah and trusting in God, God said, go to the temple, you're going to see him, and then you're going to die. 
So in Luke chapter 2, we hear the song of Simeon. He took Jesus up in his arms and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Your eyes have seen God's salvation through faith. It's a tiny little baby, a baby who loves you enough to enter your world, to get underneath the bed with you where you are trembling, and a baby who is also the almighty God who created the heavens. And when your eyes see that salvation, then whatever it is you're facing, you can rest at the end of the day. You can say at the end of the day, Lord, you let your servant depart, you let your servant go to sleep in peace because I have seen your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, the future is scary because we can't see a moment beyond this moment. And so many brothers and sisters in here along with me are trembling. Some are trembling about the immediate, the challenge that's right in front of them. Some of them are trembling about the long distance future. They can only see catastrophe or or they think that when the future finally comes, then they'll be happy, then they'll be fulfilled, then, 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 then something will happen. Lord, forgive us for this it, because it, it takes our minds off the present. We're not present with the people that you've given us to minister to and we're not present for carrying out the vocations that you have called us to. And remind us, Lord, show us Jesus, let our eyes again see that salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all people. Our Savior, who loves us enough to to be with us, who's powerful enough to save us. And give us peace, Lord, so that we can face 2020 with humble confidence. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast. Brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.